I make this sort of, this sort of thing for work as well, and mm-hmm. so I just, uh, I just use the same stupid app for that. But I think I think Zoom is is a good choice. I think it's a good option. I like it. I found like this AI tool that's like for sound editing, and it's. I'm not not technical. I have some technical skills, but I was running into some serious issues. And finally, I was just like, can AI fucking do this? So I Googled it and you're like, yeah, AI can do it for you. <laughs> I don't really want AI to do it all for me, but it does like this. Basically, it's like text-based editing. It's pretty oh, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're just using it. You're just, it's a, you're just editing the text. You like a piece of writing. It, I, I have the same tool, I think. Nice. It might be. Was it, it the script? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 but what's yeah, yeah. scary is like, then you can train it to like create your voice to like just, and you can just like, Oh yes, I've seen it has that. I, I, yeah, option. I yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far for that. But all right. I don't know. When I saw that ad, it felt. It felt like a Black Mirror episode. I was like, "This is the beginning of something terrible," and I clicked download anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just like using it because it's words on a page. But like, if you're exactly text, you know. This program is brought to you by Descript now, I guess. And it actually it does. It made me actually look forward to editing. I actually hated the whole editing process. I have to listen to my obnoxious voice, which is not great. And just like dragging a mouse, doing all that stuff was not for yeah. me. But now it's like, I can't wait. It's like, I want to get in there and just go this through it. a real sponsorship bit now. This is great. Yeah, this is- yeah. yeah, we need that. I should introduce maybe a man who needs really no introduction, honestly. I am joined today. By the one and only, a true legend, a true a poster's poster, I would say, <laughs> KB Goldtooth. Welcome, my friend, to Here Comes the Backlash. Thank you for having me, Perth. What a lovely introduction. Pleasure to be here. It is. This is many like, epochs in the making. This is like years in the making. <laughs> maybe I've only followed you for a year and a half or two, maybe. I don't know, but you no. are. Truly one of the first people I remember, you and, and 77 Steeds are probably the two people I remember from back in like the bleakest, darkest time of, I don't can't find anybody who thinks the way I do, at least in the Twitter space. And you two, as I told Cassandra in a recent episode, were like really guiding lights for me. And you have kept me sane. You've been kind. You're both very funny and talented as well. And so oh. I, yeah, I absolutely look up to you. At, I shouldn't talk about 77 Steeds. He's not here. But for some reason, I do bundle you two in my mind in some ways. Okay. Thank you for being here and thank you for being a legend. <laughs> How sweet of you. Thank you. You know, it's funny actually. Um, so my my introduction to this corner of Twitter, as we so often refer to it, was vis-a-vis uh 77 Steez. And um and it was kind of like a, a, a momentous thing, right? I, I remember very distinctly when it was and where it was, because I was visiting my mother in on her Welsh mountain as a is, is, yeah, is, I want to hear about is, this. Is, uh, border <laughs> propaganda will know something of, um, and um, and it was it was it was autumn or winter, in fact, uh, like early winter of 2021, mm-hmm. and it was just the, the darkest, most horrible period of the mandates, and it was just like dragging this huge weight behind you all the time, you know, just the weight of like, I'm going to lose my job, am I going to lose my ability to leave the house to feed my family, and so on. It was just this awful dark time, and uh, I took my family to see my mother. And um, my mother, bless her, a uh, lovely woman, um, uh, major um, libtard, and um, and her her partner is like a supreme libtard. It'd be you know ten year, her partner of ten years or so, and they they kind of worship Owen Jones and the Guardian and George Monbiot and such like. And and my mother was actually okay about COVID. She was even quite good on COVID. You know, quite quite relatively based. But um, but her partner was like the double mask wearer you know, boosted up kind of intense character. And and when we got up there, I was just sort of full of neuroses and fear about the fucking mandates. You know, I was really, really 
carrying it with me all the time as so many of us were and um we got we got up there and she was like straight off the bat like just don't mention it to my partner you know to to fred we'll call him just don't mention it to fred um just don't say anything because we'll have a big argument and so on and so forth and it just made me feel even worse like i couldn't even like raise this threat to the family this threat to like this threat to society couldn't even mention it it, it just it, it felt even more oppressive and claustrophobic to be there and then i i kind of like I, at the time i was just using twitter to um like uh to, to keep up with the news a little bit if you will and yeah. you know you follow like a few kind of like quote-unquote based right-wing-ish accounts or something do you know what i mean just and you wouldn't really feel much affinity with them but they had an approximately <laughs> same view of the mandate so so you kind of you know you kept up a little bit with them but you didn't i didn't really engage or feel any uh feel any kinship with them and 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 that night um noam chomsky did his infamous i i saw for the first time i think it was released that night but I, it might have been out a day or two but he did that infamous interview where he basically said the um the young vac should be starved yes. you know in our houses and if you know if we were starving it was your problem and we should be treated <laughs> like uh, like criminals and i you know it was just you know another it was like another shovel full of soil on your coffin of your soul or something do you know what i mean you were just like oh my goodness you know this kind of you know, whatever you thought about him, you thought he was a, 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 almost excessively moral person. You know, that was almost a critique of him, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and he's saying, you know, starve them, the, the pieces of shit. And I, I and I was, I was sat in my mother's place. I was I was feeling oppressed by my the, the context, the house we were in. And, and then he and I saw this and I was just feeling really miserable. Mm-hmm. And I was on, on Twitter for, for one of something better to do. And I came across, uh, I came across a, uh, a 77 Steve's tweet but was just making fun of Noam Chomsky. And immediately it was like the tone of just like someone thumbing their nose, like wittily and casually at this whole thing was like, it was, it was like a door opening. I just couldn't, you know, suddenly you realize this person not only existed, this sort of satirist and this perspective not only existed, but it was obviously connected to this whole network of shared perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, and and you know it was uh, I think in, in in many ways like um, a, a network of people I, I I wanted to kind of I didn't imagine it existed you know that shared that sort of mixture of perspective and sensibility you know and 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 so it was, it was quite a before and after moment but it was a seventy seven Steve's tweet that uh, that opened the door in fact so uh, it's, it's you know very flattering to be uh, mentioned in the same breath surely undeserving also you know. Not undeserving. That's a beautiful story, actually. I think I was just hearing something about, I don't know, the way to get people to like wake up. The idea is that if people are to be converted or snapped out of this like hypnosis people are in, there were three things. One was like by petition that there are numbers of people who agree or think the same way. I forget what the other one was, but one was humor. Like humor is really a very powerful, powerful thing. And sad because comedy sucks nowadays. But uh, 77 Seeds is very funny. He's basically doing like um, what comedy is meant to do. Like the, the great court jesters all the way up through. I guess George Carlin gets invoked a lot. It's a little cringe, I guess, to talk about George Carlin these days. But really, they do serve a purpose, and that is to expose truth in a way that is, like, safe. There's something almost, like, magical, really, about being able to make fun of something like COVID in particular. And he does it. That guy does it all the time. 77 Steve is just unbelievable. To be able to take something so dark and serious and find the humor in it, that's like a spiritual gift, honestly, as far as I'm concerned, because he's extracting like the light from in this darkness and using it to turn it back on like the overlords and that they don't like that. 
They don't like that because they're not capable of laughter. Actually, part of the problem, they have no sense of humor. And so anyone who can find ways to use joy and laughter to, to combat all these dark fucking sinister forces has my like admiration and respect. I honestly feel you do the same way. You're pretty funny. You're pretty, not as funny as oh. Seven Seas. I'm no, sorry. No, no. Like, Katie, Clark, you're a very funny uh, gentleman. <laughs> I'd say pretty funny. Thank you. Yeah. yeah you're, a, you're a very talented writer. You're, you're a podcast host of a great program called Baller Propaganda. Do you want to just let our listeners, most of them probably are familiar with with you and the show, but I don't know, do you want to just give us a little sum up of what you guys do there? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, Billy Flipper and myself, and um, we've been doing it for a few months now. And um, we, we call it, it's <laughs> uh, the, the Klaus Schwab uh, quote, uh, boilerplate quote we have, you know, we were lucky to get is that we're like a sort of flat earth adjacent Seinfeld. And I, I, I think it still stands, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> It's just uh, yeah, speaking complete shit and not really analyzing anything or, or offering much in the way of um, of takes or insight. But you know, there's a certain uh, there's a certain charm to it. All the same, you know. I hope you know. You know, I check abs- it out. It's a very charming, a very charming crew. Absolutely. I actually um, do you identify. I kind of know the answer, but do you identify as a flat earther? Where are you these days in terms of possible Earth shape? <laughs> <laughs> I could never identify as a flat earther. I'm far too vain. Um, I, you know, it's not, it's not the most, uh, it's not the most, uh, charming appellation. And also I suppose my, my whole thing about, um, cosmological revisionism, which is a much posher way to put it, you know, my, my whole thing about it, my theory is right. If you strip away the facticity of, uh, of going to the moon and of going into space, yeah, as most conspiratorially inclined people do, like we tend to disregard the uh, going to the moon and all of NASA's kind of space photography tends to be poo-pooed and laughed at. And if, if you remove this element, yeah, from uh, from your from your from your reality principle, or mm-hmm. like um what are you left with to overwhelmingly convince you of the rotundity of the earth? You know, what mm-hmm. what is what is left behind? You know, because it's it, it's impossible to um to perceive curvature from a from either on a plane or from or from the ground. On the contrary, everything would appear to be a, a a flat and stationary plane. And if you remove the idea that well, we you know we were able to just go up so high in the sky, we turned around and saw a big spinning ball. If you remove that element, does it become not necessarily um a sort of an open and shut uh, debate, but does it become debatable once again? You know, does it become something you can you can you can feasibly question, you know, um, like, and, and what does what does the the apparent uh, uh, station, level stationary um, constitution of our existence, what does that weigh, you know, as against the, the other pieces of evidence used to sort of counteract it? What does it what does it weigh? What does appearance weigh? And 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 the thing that appealed to me was, I think I always had like a sort of um, like a, a quasi uh, religious worldview, and actually when i thought about what kind of a cosmology that worldview fits within it was always going to be the kind of the older one you know the, the, the pre one that was always that always appealed to me more it always made more sense to me um you know rather than trying to fit a religious worldview in a kind of post-scientific cosmos mm-hmm. you know it was like well what if you what if you didn't have to accept the the post enlightenment cosmos you know and 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 that's my question is do we have to still accept it and i and i i, I don't think i'm i'm convinced that we do and i wonder if that doesn't open up an interesting door of sort of speculation 
Cool. Yeah, that was beautifully put. And you're asking like a question I like to ask, which is how do we know what we know? <laughs> or um, there's a journalist, Celia Farber, who basically, um, she wrote a bunch of stuff on AIDS. She's like a, a dissident AIDS journalist. But her quote that she like said on a podcast once that just stuck with me was that a journalist's job is to penetrate the ostensible. And I just loved that because it's like, yeah, there's this concept of the ostensible that we don't even recognize, but it's all around us. And it's exactly what you're describing. Well, ostensibly the earth is round, of course, but if we just take away the fact that that was told to us, like, what do we have to actually mm, verify sure. for ourselves? You know, I feel the same way about evolution. I don't know how you feel about evolution. Oh, yeah, yeah. 100%. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It. And yeah. now I'm, I'm definitely, I am anti-Darwin. That guy sucks. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, yeah. me too. I don't know. Same and kind I, of reasoning, yeah. basically. I mean, this was, I mean, it was, um, it was just the compliment to uh, the Copernican universe wasn't it you know, you know it's all it's all about trying to find naturalistic explanations for uh, for our existence you know and and for that you needed infinite time and infinite space you know and um uh you know therefore you could have a materialist mythos you know? like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you know but you know wh- whether they're they kind of cloak themselves as uh, as, as facts when they're very they're, they're impossible mm. to verify you know i always found one of the sort of standout uh illustrations of that with regards to cosmology was the idea that the um the stars are suns you know mm-hmm. by, their, by their by their own reasoning you know the stars are so dis- vastly distant mm-hmm. you know that to assert almost anything about them is 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 mm-hmm. is innately preposterous by their own measurements you know and now you could you could okay you could hypothesize about them but it's never presented as hypothesis is it it's always presented as a uh, Experts say, you know, it's experts say, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because I think, yeah, I kind of do. I don't know. I feel like uh, BEP guys tend to be, I guess, a little fake is fake is space, space is fake type of mentality. I don't know if that's um, it's maybe a little bit ironic because I, pretty, do, uh, I'd say, yeah, I do fake, agree fake though, space, but, fake yeah, space tendencies without doubt, yeah. fake space tendencies. Like, space is real, I guess, to me, but I think it's definitely not understood and i think i think we're kind of aligned there where it's like the way that they're presenting this is absolute fact and then you actually look into nasa photography and stuff and find out much of it is basically intergenerated by their own admission or if you just look into nasa in general it's a terrifying organization that has very little to do with space it's a frightening frightening group exactly what you said yeah there's definitely stars i agree there's stars but what exactly are they and then also that we reject like thousands of years of human thought on this which is like astrology it's something i kind of i'm into a little bit mm. that's where it's like yeah, that's a great example you know people who who find astrology credible you know and uh you know they, they have to kind of if they're also you know have a kind of standard cosmology modern cosmology like it's, a, it's i found that it's a very kind of unusual coupling and it you know like how do, how do those two align you know i not not too well i would think but um, you know, so why not just do away with yeah? <laughs> why not just do away with one that you have no um, um, you have no immediate perception of, by which you know the, the all earth, etc. Idea, not not astrology, which is obviously in- immediately palpable to us all. Yeah, yeah that's real. It's astronomy. Let's call it astronomy. That's the fake science. Astronomy, yeah, is fake yeah, science. Quite a, yeah, the, the irony. Yeah. <laughs> Penetrate <laughs> that as sensible. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> it makes sense to me going back to darwin and just the whole host enlightenment thing it makes me realize yeah you're right it is this materialist religious replacement of nature and divinity there's this whole project to remove us from nature remove us from like god or a creator whatever you want to call it there is a project and i think that's tied up with marxism and the a lot of the things that we see today especially that we i think both get really frustrated by so much of it is about removing us from who we really are as people and keeping us from really i think knowing the full truth. I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot of incredible things about being human beings on this planet that are like remarkable. And we're not supposed to consider that we're supposed to be specks of dust on a, like a rock in the middle of space with no hope and no future hurtling towards the void. And that's like the mentality that will let you be locked down for 50 years because of climate change. If you let it, you know, and I like, and that's so well, you know, I dropped my rock. Ah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have some, I have so many questions. KB, I feel like we could talk about space for hours. Actually, are you are you into astrology? What's your yeah, sign? Yeah, I'm interested in astrology. Yeah, I'm a Gemini. Ooh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The Gemini. I'm a Sagittarius. Uh, they're kind of twins. The like the Gemini is obviously a twin. They're like on either sides of the zodiac. There, so we are we are counterparts. I feel in many ways. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. I have a question for you. So I was called to podcasting like by the heavens. It's annoying. I don't want to talk about it too much. I felt called truly. I will say because the world was like demanded people to just start speaking. What, what brought you to like feeling that you need to, like, I guess, host and then, and then start a podcast. Do you feel called? <laughs> oh, well, I was, um, I spent, I see them both as like a uh, sort of a secondary and tertiary sort of in a sense to, to, writing which is what i was trying to do for, for years and years and years and i was um you know just a, a, as as few as sort of five years ago i was um i was writing a book about um psyops and about um hoaxes and i was trying to trying to write it in this interesting way like not just a, it wasn't just a sort of an argument that, that psyops and hoaxes are prevalent or existent but it was telling the story of a bunch of people i even knew or met and what happened to them when they started to explore and publicize this, these, these ideas about hoaxes. And they, they, some of them, one of them ended up dead, the Dave McGowan, who was a sort of a friend of mine for, wow. mm-hmm. a decade ago. Um, and um, some of them ended up in like prison and ended up booted off the internet and all these terrible things happened to them all. And I was just telling the story, telling those stories, you know, and um um, but I was I was kind of writing it without um, any sense that um, any kind of like audience existed, you know, for it, you know, like, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, the, the, the kind of mainstream conspiracy theory, theorist consumer or something, you know, you know, they mm-hmm. didn't seem like people who would be interested in this kind of writing or they didn't seem like very interesting to degree, beyond a certain degree. Um, everyone else would think you were completely balmy for entertaining Sure. There's some sympathy for these people that I was writing about. And so, you know, at least, you know, sympathy. And um, um, and so I didn't I, I couldn't imagine any kind of realistic readership. And that was coupled with the fact that the book was everyone I was writing about had such terrible things happen to them. I figured well, if a bloody book gets published, something terrible could happen to me. Mm-hmm. And you know, I can't you know, what, what would be the point of that if you don't even have a, a viable readership at all and that was when it co- come back to this uh thing on twitter where i suddenly encountered all of these you know very intelligent interesting people who were who who did have a sort of shared sensibility as well as a shared worldview and suddenly you felt like, oh i'd like them to read my stuff do you know mm-hmm. what i mean like i'd be interested to know what they thought of it like uh, they'd be worth writing two and four 
And, um, and, and, and so there it was just sort of like hosting and, and even podcasting was in, in a sense a way of just like um, getting to know them and interacting with them. And, 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 and just because it was, it was something that was uh, admirable and um, engaging, right? Whether it was 77 Steve's posting, which obviously is an art, is an art <laughs> form, but it does it or, um, or, you know, a great show like Rare Candy or something, you know, where, where you were like, you know, or, or a great thinker like uh, our friend Basil, you know, um, you know, genuinely original ideas, which which have you know uh, weight and uh, worth to them, yeah. and, uh, and and so um, there was just yeah, so it's just sort of an extension of that, really. You know, but, um, I think I I was probably like called to try and be a writer. You know what I mean? For not necessarily to be one, but to try to. You know. No, I think you you are a writer and you've written some great pieces. We could maybe discuss. It's almost like the people I've been waiting my whole life to meet, in a sense. It's like, truly, because, yeah, I my politically, I've always not been a super lib person, even though I come ostensibly from like a Bay Area, gay, whatever. I never fit in with any of that. I rejected all that. Definitely had conservative streaks uh, off and on in my past, but I also didn't really vibe with the right wing kind of thing either. Probably the closest. Yeah, I didn't really vibe with that. And the conspiracy thing too, a bunch of cranks in the wrong way, I guess, you know? I mean, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's sure. not, it's like too far. I was like too, QAnon actually did a great disservice to me because I actually stopped paying attention to any conspiracy stuff for a while because it was so, it was interesting in one sense because I was like, wow, people are talking about this stuff. This is really cool. But it was also kind of like, but they're also retards. So this isn't like going super, <laughs> you know, like the substance of it was accurate. I thought the whole thing felt too much of an op and I didn't like what I was like, how people were being corralled by it. And that actually was between that and Black Lives Matter, they drove me off of the internet and i feel like i missed a lot of important information about COVID 19 being like way way worse than it was even though I, even though i kind of knew it was bad at the time i still don't think i had come to terms with the reality that there is a global cabal leading this do you know what i mean even oh. though i kind of knew it intellectually anyway my point being that when i did start to find this this kind of area of twitter it was like oh my gosh these people are get it they get it the right way they're not too in on one side they're not too in on the other they're open-minded to these possibilities they're bright creative, uh, great writers like yourself. Like, I feel like there's a true community and I don't want to jinx it too much, but it feels genuinely like supportive. I feel like the people that you and I are friends with and engage, like we actually, Mm -hmm. it feels truly like a community where we're like trying to lift each other up. And that is, I don't know, like I'm almost suspicious of it because I don't trust people (laughs) really be that good, but I feel like I'm that good. And if it is true that the others are equally as such, then I think there's some great power in what we're trying to do here. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you, you've been a long, like, I don't know if I would say lifelong crank. I do remember you talked about your, your journey on thoughts and friends, <laughs> I think, but like, um, yeah. do you know, what's your experience like of being, being a crank, we'll say, or a conspiracy theorist yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Crank yeah, like five years ago versus now. Cause I feel like for me, it used to be oh, wow, yeah, much more great. acceptable, you know, and now it's, it is not. What do you, do you, do you feel like that? Like that it was just like easier to be a freak <laughs> of nature when it came to uh, political conspiracies? Uh, that's a great question and in a way it's absolutely the case right like I, I i could be accepted within my like relatively at the time sort of hipster london mm-hmm. friendship group i you know i I could have kind of uh rum opinions and, right. and kind of spill them here and there but mm-hmm. those those opinions were less personal to people you know there were probably some which which would be you know uh deemed offensive or beyond the pale no doubt but you could, you, a lot of them were sort of ab- abstracted. You know, there were things on the TV primarily, you know, you, you could feel like, oh, I don't think this TV event has any veracity. I don't think it has any substance, you know, and that might offend somebody who is connected to the, the thing on the TV or it might not, but it was, 
it was still a discussion about something on the TV. Whereas what, what I think happened in, in, in the more recent past is the things that we were conspiratorial about and skeptical of impinged so directly on people's day-to-day lives that, you know, their investment in, in their reality was was much more primal, you know, much more rigid. And and you know and and so your point of view on it was was a, was was a divisive was was inherently divisive you know mm-hmm. you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't and it, I think it cuts both ways you know I'm 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 hugely intolerant of, <laughs> of normies to be honest with you and um, you know you know increasingly I can't bear I can't bear it you know and uh, you know I, you know if I'm paid to work with somebody I'm fine with whatever they think and if if I'm related to them I'm pretty much fine too but if I'm choosing to be somebody's friend or spend time with them and you can't have an actual conversation or they just have such a a, a stupid perspective on things you know it's really exhausting and um and uninteresting but um but I do think you know so I think for, for all of us issues became dominating you know in a way that they hadn't been before they stepped out of tv you know, the, the news in general for over the last sort of four or five years, maybe in that time span, just stepped out of the television oh, and, and pervaded all of our lives, you know, so your perspective on it was became much more significant. Mm-hmm. That is really, it stepped out. Yeah. Or maybe we entered the TV. I'm not sure. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's better. <laughs> but you're absolutely correct. And I realized too, I think for me, it, it wasn't doing me a service for everyone to be like, oh, there's, there's pool house, that wacky crank. He doesn't believe people landed on the moon, like whatever. Uh, everyone was fine with it, but I realized somehow in that like tacit, like just acceptance of it, it was like invalidate. I don't know. It was making it not real in some way. And I think the fact that the stakes are higher to have the beliefs that I have actually affirm them and validate them and confirm to me that this shit is real in a sense. I don't know if that even yeah. makes sense, but it was just the whole COVID thing really was like, I spent like years thinking about all of this stuff, like hearing about everything from the control grids, a, a virus is going to come one day. You know, like all of the Alex Jones, you know, all the shit has been talked about for decades. And, um, it's weird because, yeah, it's, it's so weird because it just, something became more real. Well, obviously it became more real during COVID. And I think, um, I don't know, there was a shift. And so it's really weird because I think a lot of people are like, how could you have been like so fucking like into all this like conspiracy? Re- I was listening to James Corbett talk about this shit like months before I got yeah. vaccinated. And people like, well, why would you go do that? And I realized it was I was naive. I was stupid and kind of had not really made complete uh come to full terms with like how fucking real it was even though i believed it to be true i hadn't believed it to be true on the right level i guess if that makes sense i don't know yeah yeah it was it was still existing on the tv in some it, I, yeah i was still outside the it was a form of entertainment or distraction <laughs> and right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 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 no I, I can understand how that could be the case I and mean, I, I can find loads of instances in my own uh in my own life like prior to covid i mean by the time covid came around i was I was pretty well placed to be like, no, from the outset. Like mm-hmm. I just happened to be where I was. Um, but uh, I, I, I always remember around uh, around Brexit being uh, an interesting mm-hmm. illustration of the same kind of principle, um, where I was um, I was I was I was researching the, um, the the strange death of Joe Cox. If people don't know who Joe Cox is, she was a uh, a British Labour MP, so as to say, equivalent Democrat. MP, right, centre-left, Labour uh, uh, member of parliament here. And um, and she was assassinated seemingly by a disgruntled Brexiteer constituent um, right on the verge, I mean, like a week before the referendum, and um, a, a week or two, you know. And her, her, her death, her martyrdom was a... Um, was a martyrdom in the name of the Remain cause, 
mm-hmm. the main being the, the movement to stay in the European Union, if you if you didn't know, right? And um, and it, it galvanized, you know, it gave for R- Remain, which until then had been a rather bloodless and bureaucratic, you know, obviously bloodless mm-hmm. and bureaucratic um, political movement. It gave Remain a kind of an, an, an emotional core, like a, it was a rallying cry. It was suddenly like this kind of rather gooey, we're one world, you know, it's really, you know, this is racism and it's even, you know, it gave it, it gave it all of these kind of new, new tones and it surely pushed remain much nearer to winning the referendum you know it wasn't you know than it was you know it was it was the core celebra for remain and i was and now now i immediately knew something was up with joe cox not only because i was sort of habitually skeptical of anything on the news give or take but um uh, and there were some elements of, of her, her death, which were instantly extraordinary. But she was also affiliated with the White Helmets. Um, she was, uh, you know, which you know, the, the, the Syrian psyop, you know, for channeling money to the um, to the the, the, uh, the Islamist militias out there in this, in this sort of um, uh, in the proxy civil war or what have you. And um, and so I was instantly like, oh my, you know, this person is was a strong affiliation with with the White Helmets. Something is up with this whole incident, with this person, everything about it. And, and I became very, very interested in her, her affiliations and et cetera, et cetera. But um, simultaneously, I was thinking about Brexit and I was like, oh, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I was, I was quite close to voting for Maine, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, it got to the, got to the, I had various thoughts on why that was, um, which I won't bore you with, but it got to the point where like the night of the vote, I was sat there like, um, I was going to go and vote Remain, but I just couldn't because I, I I figured they'd they'd killed they'd they'd, they'd done a psyop. Right, totally. Yeah, that happened. They'd done this psyop, but I was pretty convinced of, and so I was in this completely kind of you know du- dual consciousness around the issue, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I, I didn't go and vote Remain, which I was pleased about, I didn't vote Leave either. Which in hindsight, you know, if I would go back today, I, I surely would. But um, I, I I when I woke up in the morning. And we had uh, left the European Union. I was uh, almost as bad as any lib fucking metropolitan Remainer. You know, in fact, I was probably as bad, you know, despite having the kind of James uh, Corbett kind of worldview sure. around superstructures and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, the, it, there, there's been a kind of a sort of a filtering of our consciousness over the last few years, you know, where these kind of internal contradictions can can no longer kind of cohabit the same brain as easily mm-hmm. you know, and everybody comes a bit a bit clearer in, in what, what they think and what that means i suppose mm-hmm. well you said that you initially said dual consciousness and i there's dual consciousness or i guess that we have to embody or we have to use it to navigate i think in some ways we have to be able to hold these two things in our heads in this present moment requires us to be able to know that two things that seemingly are contradictory can actually be true. I'm a good example of that. But there's also the flip side of it, which is like uh, the disconnect, the kind of cognitive dissonance is what I'm looking for. I think there's half of us are able to like uh, have multiple layers because we have to be able to, to a certain degree to get our jobs done and go about our lives, like be able to hold in our heads multiple realities at once, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And there's other people who just are so to the dominant paradigm, the mainstream narrative, whatever you want to call it, that even when their observational powers show them that is not true they can't reconcile it and it becomes sad it's actually hard to watch i see with the trans issue a lot i see with the vaccine issue a lot where people i think know that this deep down inside is not right but it's they can't get there and i think there's something about our 
ability or a skill for being able to navigate these complicated realities that has been a benefit to us, I think, in, in many ways. Do you think there's any truth to that? Or am I crazy? <laughs> um, that... Uh... I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, without, He's without smarter that. than the average Joe KB. I guess that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, why not? We're among friends. We're among friends. Let's uh, slap ourselves on the back. Yeah. I have a question, actually, on this kind of topic of science. Well, first of all, this I wasn't familiar with this murder of this this MP, and it sounds like classic textbook sign-up. Actually, of course, it was on the the eve of the vote, and of course, it galvanized emotional yeah, support yeah. for a political cause. It, it's gross. Why is it so predictable? But um. I don't know, like UK and America are very similar, I think, in a lot of ways in terms of like how we do our business, our shady PSYOP business. I'm going to steer us back a few PSYOPs uh, to a previous decade PSYOP. And we can maybe we can hit a few others on the way back to 2023. I remember this one that was in 2005, I believe, and it's called the 7-7 bombings that yeah. were a big deal at the time. Maybe in UK it's different. I don't feel like anyone talks about the 7-7 bombings anymore, probably because they were an obvious operation. I think they were yeah. obviously fake. What's your experience with 7-7? Well, I, I remember it very well. Like I was living in London, and uh, my 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 wife uh, took uh, took the tube to work, and um, it, she went like she cut right through the. Uh, she kind of like it was a bit like a kind of a, a cartoon or something. She kind of got off one one tube, kind of changed lines, and little unbeknownst to her, the, the one she was just on blew up, and then, well, <laughs> and then she got on the next one, got off, got off the tube to work, and. That blew up as well. So when she got to work, found out there'd been these attacks, it, she could kind of trace her narrowly missing these uh, ostensible attacks or whatever you think of them as. And um, and so then uh, my my housemate and I, we thought, well, we we, we would just go and pick her up. And so um, from work, uh, just, just for a laugh, you know, and uh, we so we walked across the whole city. It was maybe like a three hour walk or something. And it was an interesting day, but it was quite sunny. Um, and because all the the, the the public transport was obviously shut down, people were just spilling aimlessly out of offices and out of uh, you know and off of buses and just they were just spilling out everywhere and just wandering in this sort of weird catatonic state. And it, it was quite it was quite interesting and just memorable, like in and of itself. And then I, I guess over the next couple of years, I became was was when I got interested in nine um, eleven, and then when I went from there to looking into seven seven there were were clear kind of fingerprints all over as as being an op um uh you know and 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 i think you know i think you're absolutely right but it doesn't it doesn't get mentioned much it isn't dwelled upon uh by the mass culture even here you know it's kind of cursorily uh mentioned because they 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 don't like to go too near these ops you know they don't like to make draw too much attention to them once they serve their purpose do they it's one of the sort of uh Giveaways mm. of them, I feel. Um, but uh, you know, there were there were a lot of weird things about it. I don't know if it's uh, worth like rehashing them all. But, but I do I do see it as like it's an instigative event in what became a sort of series of kind of conspicuous operations. You know. Yeah, I was actually that's what I was wondering because nine eleven obviously is the kickoff, the inaugurator of this age of psyops up until COVID. Actually, I think nine eleven to COVID is one period, and now we're we're in a new one. But I wondered if it was similar in, in the UK in that it, it unleashed this like new, like for US, for example, we had the Patriot Act that came out of it. We had the war. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was so many of the things that actually really led up to COVID and made COVID possible, in my opinion, with biodefense research and restructuring the economy. A lot of the things have happened 
came after 9-11. Like 9-11 instigated a lot of that. And I wondered if, yeah, that was the case for on the UK on, on that kind of scale, if that was like the, if you really mark that if, as a significant event or not. I, I I would find like when you when I was when I was looking into later ops, mm-hmm. I would find little telltale connections to seven seven. Like there'd be like a, some weird police off uh, chief or something would pop up in some. And there, 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 you know, there, do you remember that there was um, the huge scandal here about um, the tabloid papers um, uh, hacking celebrity phones and such like? Yes, yes. This was a, this was a huge a huge event that happened just a few years after 7-7. Mm-hmm. And I, I always felt at the time, and it's hard to rehash all the detail years later, but at the time there was a lot of connections between them. And I always felt like the tabloid press was leveraging what it knew about kind of deep state mm-hmm. operations in, mm-hmm. in its war with the British state or, mm-hmm. or in its kind of um, tussle with the British legal system and, and with trying to cover its own tracks of what it had been getting up to in terms of kind of serving as like a, a part a major part of a surveillance state like i definitely feel like in the uk one of the distinct elements of the national kind of like deep state here is it's very bound up with the tabloid papers i think they're i think they're used for surveillance i think they're, they're you know not just for propaganda but for surveillance as well and mm-hmm. i think that was one of the things that that scandal and story kind of exposed and as such their awareness of like uh, pseudo terrorist events and 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 their and even involvement in them to some you know fundamental degree is uh, is significant. Like um, <laughs> it's been a while since I uh, since I thought about it, these events and things. So I can't, uh, too that much was, deal, and I'm afraid no, that was actually really interesting. I like the I like that you outlined this kind of connection because I've heard. The U.S. tabloid markets, I've heard that like intelligence community uses things like National Enquirer, which is not quite, it's a little bit different than the U.K. tabloids. It's more, a bit more sensational, I guess, uh, but uses those things to basically plant stories, uh, communicate to agents in the field through like headlines and stories uh, that they use those tabloids um, kind of going in that direction. You're describing the opposite, which using them actually as like, you know, as operationalizing them as like data harvesting as blackmailing tools yeah, would so. also yeah. a lot more sense is probably uh the primary use i think what i'm describing sounds schizo <laughs> you know we're, we're like a little i you know we're a little island as well with just like tens of millions of people crammed mm-hmm. onto it so there's like a very like the way media media is much more i feel like it's much more intimate and it it, it has to bind a lot of consciousness mm. together in this very kind of narrow space mm-hmm. and it, it just feels closer and more instrumental uh perhaps than it than it can in america which is just so much more kind of uh, uh expansive and diversified and um and you know, that's one of the ways the BBC functions here as well, you know, just keeping everybody very, very much in the pocket at all times. You know.
the centralization of the media is exactly what I, so I found this like thing I like wrote about seven, seven for some reason recently. And it was interesting. It brought back these memories. I came home late one night and that, the night of seven, seven bombings in the U S in California, I want to say it was like midnight or something and it, it was unfolding. So I was watching it live on television on the West coast and it was a feed from the British TV, like maybe sky news, maybe BC. And I just remember thinking, this is fake. I was like watching, I was like, this isn't real. And it was like really, it was really weird because you could feel a difference in UK media from US media. And I was like familiar with some uh, UK media, but hadn't really watched like a, an event like this unfold before. It was really strange. And I just remember they kept interviewing people and every person they talked to was an American. And I know there are Americans in yeah, 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 yeah. but it was yeah. very odd to me. And I was like, every eyewitness was, First of all, just they had this kind of um, patness or kind of performative. You can kind of tell when someone's yeah. a real eyewitness to terrorism and tragedy. You see it in the 9-11 videos, too. You can watch on the, the on the street videos and see who's a fucking op and who isn't in some of that footage. And it was the same thing. I was like, why are they talking to so many Americans? I feel like the story changed like three times that morning in terms of timeline and things like that. Classic, classic uh, uh, psyop element. I remember coming away with that feeling like, shit like i felt spooked by that event and i um, it really import, import your witnesses for these psyops you know you, 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 you london is so kind of uh you know so international and cosmopolitan anyway but you know just just bring in a bunch of australians no one really gonna notice and, and americans and you know exactly. you don't you don't run the risk of anyone being re, you know recognized or you know like yeah. uh, or violating uh certain laws maybe sure, yeah, 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 people yeah. can conduct operations perhaps differently than a domestic intelligence officer could in the uk i don't know it, and so i think you're right there is something I don't know. There's just something about uh, England, which it does seem easier to psyop you all. But then at the same time, <laughs> like I think England's a little bit better. How dare you? <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I'm in the United States. I really mean, like, yeah, but I, I, we're pretty psyoped in the U.S. as well, obviously. Uh, but actually, no, I think UK's kind of come out of COVID in some ways better. I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading. What is the climate in terms of COVID like media coverage now? Are people talking about vaccine injuries now? Is there more? I know there was the whole uh, dust up with with Boris and the the garden parties. And that was like surprising to me. Oh, and there was those leaks too, right? With like a health officer kind of coordinating messaging around yeah. Omicron. And that, I, we don't have anything really like that scale. I don't think in the US currently. Is there more COVID truth, quote unquote, uh, than there was like a year ago? uh yeah i don't i don't so i don't i don't tune in too much to the to the bbc etc i think um or to any of the mainstream media here so it's hard for me to keep too much uh of a pulse of it but um you know it comes in waves doesn't it you know there was you know a, a month or two ago like a, a wave of kind of covid revisionism and thinking you know mainstream kind of reconsideration of lockdowns and and i i i definitely feel that um uh, the question of the, the, the vax's safety and efficacy is going to follow in the future like you know in, in general like um I, I, you know, it's hard for me to compare with the US, but in general, um, one of the main differences before and afters in the UK, uh, sort of pre and post COVID, is it, is it, it did sort of radicalize uh, a huge swathe of the country and turn us into uh, sort of um, uh, skeptics and, and, and dissidents, if you will. And a lot of them were within, like, the, and a, a portion of them were within the ruling class, you know, both in terms of the journalistic elite. There were a few who sort of, like, uh, left the party and, 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 you know, kind of came over to our point mm -hmm. of view 
quite kind of emphatically and um and, uh, and even some politicians, like we have a we have a, a member of parliament, and Andrew Bridgen at the moment, who's just you know banging the drum on vax injuries, mm-hmm. kind of absolutely relentlessly. You may have seen him recently, kind of try and raise it in uh, in, in Westminster to a completely empty yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, house, you know. And um, so you know it, it, it's done that to a lot of people. And you know, in general, I wrote, I wrote a long piece about what I liked about the UK through COVID. And uh, one of the one of the elements of that, that was really nice about it was the, 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 the British are very organized and resourceful, you know, and they, uh, you know, it, and they have a very strong sense of like, civic entitlement, you know, and so there was as soon as these, these, um, these measures were brought in and COVID restrictions and such like, there was like a lot of counter organizing, you know, there was, uh, there was like, like, it was very easy to get papers that you might need it was very easy to 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 meet up with people there were all kinds of kind of underground networks and things of people just organizing and resisting and you know the british just yeah just like like to organize you know that we are an organized people in general and that kind of came through quite refreshingly through through the last three years and it's created a kind of state within a state almost you know which uh, it's hard to its endurance is difficult because it hasn't got that central um, kind of raison d'etre, you know, that COVID gave it. But you can find, you know, resistance to 15-minute cities and, um, and and the kind of shutdowns of, of travel and stuff and, and, and pseudo-environmentalism and such. Like, it, it's organising against those presently, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, cre- it's created some interesting kind of networks and communities, you know. Mm. That's interesting. I that's really interesting. Organized dissent almost seems to be a factor or a thing in England. I think of like labor movements, like miners' strikes or things like that. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. of like the band Crass all of a sudden and they're organized, whatever you want to make of anarchism. They were organized. Uh, oh, actually, Leicester. Is that how you say the town? Leicester. Leicester. There's a town in UK. It's actually like in the book Dissolving Illusions uh, by Suzanne Davis. It documents this history of this town that in 19th century fucking said no to vaccines and vaccine mandates. It's a fascinating right. history. I don't think that would happen maybe anywhere else I, I hadn't really recognized that aspect of the british spirit but it's you're totally right and i think that's something to drill into uh there's some power there i'm very I'm blown away in the u.s you have the, the geographical dispensation right and the red and blue phenomenon like you can you can vote with your feet a little bit in times of kind of uh yeah. crisis you know yeah. um uh whereas here it's in, it's an impossibility you know it has to you have to kind of exist within the, uh, the 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 set you know the general mass of outlook you know and figure out a way of of of, of operating within it you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, I like this idea of like a state within a state you described and I can see losing a little bit of its like uh, direction or whatever because of the lack of COVID but maybe not there's plenty of other issues yeah yeah, yeah 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 just waiting for something to come along which is sufficiently overwhelming you know and it would it, it it's there just below the surface i feel you know ready to be properly reactivated and you know do you find that the kind of these dissenters or whatever you want to call them that there is alignment on other issues like the tq as we might call it like the trans question yeah. or um uh, 15 minute cities you mentioned it, it, and i see a lot of the opposition in europe happening now is that is that the same in england is it unified in that mentality or is it really like very issue specific in this group no i'd say everybody who's based on covid is uh is hip to the tq thank you god know? 
without <laughs> without I would say exception. I, you know, the, the conspiracy left isn't a big phenomenon, uh, as far as I know, in the UK. Well, I know a couple of accounts that are uh, British conspiracy left, but um, um, uh, but um, like, but conversely. Um, I think the the turf movement here. Obviously, we are otherwise known as Turf Island, you know, and I'm quite I'm quite <laughs> proud of that as well. And um, um, you know, I think you you definitely find uh, that that can be more of a single issue perception uh, for a lot of uh, turfs and fellow travellers in that cause. Um, such as my uh, such as my stepmother, you know, who is uh, who's very who's very based on the uh, on the on the TQ, and I and I enjoy I enjoy trying to to point out, for instance, that some of the governments who are the most outrageous on on trans issues uh, also happen to have been the most draconian around COVID and vax mandates and such like. I like to drop these little uh, red pills, you know, uh, but um. Uh, but yeah, you will you will definitely find you know uh, a, a, a lot of kind of um, uh, British turfs who are who are who are much more neutral on other other topics. You know, it's interesting. Well, they, they are women, I guess, so we can't expect them to like get it <laughs> on the first pass. You know, that's interesting though. It is funny. I've had pushback this week or over the last week about there was someone today that was like, "Stop complaining about trans. Like, we've got Agenda Twenty One to stop." And I'm like. Trans is bullet point number two or three in Agenda 21. Is said yeah, yes, indeed. And the same with Ukraine. Someone like Caitlin Johnstone, that ugh, insufferable journalist, was just like, I've been right on everything. And it, I've looked into this woman. She's a fraud. She was not talking about Ukraine in 2018. She's a fucking like tabloid journalist, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. She is very good on Ukraine, but her whole existence, I am convinced, is to be really good on Ukraine so that she obstructs the bigger picture. And there's many operatives, I feel like that now I'm realizing where they're entire existence is is to obstruct the one big thing as basil would call it i don't know and i'm starting to realize that and it's frustrating there's not really a question there but there is one big thing all right we're not schizos for thinking that uh no no i don't think so yeah yeah there's a yeah call it what you like call it technocratic progressivism or whatnot but uh yeah absolutely we're in a we're in a full-blown conflict with a with a coherent dominant domineering growing uh, authoritarian ideology, yeah, yeah, but that is, you know, if you if you if you if you're not seeing its um, coherence, you're not seeing it, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. So there is a terrifying one big thing, but like, so okay, I yeah, I don't know. Like, we live go on, life goes on. We have fun. We laugh. We are a joyful people. And I think that's like, it's also super important. And that's another aspect that that's another op you see, which is the super black pilling conspiracy, like researcher, you know, or, or account that's just like, you're doomed. And it's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. well, conspiracy has always had that like um, yeah. apocalyptic tendency, right? Like, for, you know, a lot of people are new to uh, the conspiratorial outlook via COVID generally. And they immediately, and it was very understandable, but it really stood out to me um, that they they immediately said we're all going to be in camps for being unvaccinated in in, in uh-huh. six months, and then every then hundreds of millions of people will be dropping down dead from 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 the jabs. And you know, I, it was it was it was not easy to disregard these possibilities at the time. And I, you know, they, they they were possibilities, you know, for and you know, perhaps we were fortunate to avoid some of the, some of those outcomes nonetheless their their certainty that this would be how things developed very very quickly and very very blackly um was it was easier to take with a pinch of salt if you'd 
been on or, or, or how, if you entertained these perspectives for a longer period because <laughs> you knew that you know anyone who was um around when the, the you know was observant of uh, the patriot act you know would have understandably assumed that okay with well, the patriot act you know in in a year or two we'll all be in the fema camps and and so on and so forth you know and you know generally things don't work out quite as bad as people as the as the worst expectation uh, would anticipate, you know, and uh, and if you've been around a while, you you start to see that, you know, um, things are things are less predictable than that. Just assuming the worst possible outcome is probably not going to be the accurate judgment, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, if we, but it, and I, I guess people coming out of the last couple of years, some of them are really surprised that they're still walking around. That the, the, the a lot of COVID restrictions ended. That they've re- managed to remain unvaccinated and still able to travel or work and whatnot. You know, and, and we'll probably approach future threats and catastrophes with maybe a slightly more open-minded uh, perspective on 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 how they're going to pan out. I don't know. So well put. I feel like it's a it's a slow boil, really. I think people rush to this, like, yeah, we're going to be in camps next year. And that kind of serves this obfuscation of the fact that maybe not in a year, but where we are today from 2001 when Patriot Act was passed, it's a nightmare. You know, it's a there's a yeah. lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think some of these accounts, they're just like they're ridiculous. I get bitch about conspiracy, conspiracy leftists all day, especially. I don't know why they really bother me lately. Well, I guess they're calling me a Nazi online, but like been beefing with them. I was a funny one wasn't it because they, i was really struck by that when i when i thought back on your your encounter there because the uh the poster listed a load of um trap yeah, yeah he trapped me yeah. a load of the by the titles and it was almost saying like how can you discuss or, or find somebody interesting when they've written these these verboten books you know that that was the that was the inference yeah, you, can't, yeah. you can't discuss or respect this person because of this list of books all of which should be on the never read pile presumably or the out you know i mean if you're gonna if you know don't get me wrong you know i haven't i haven't read hoffman personally so maybe there are things said uh, 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 beyond the pale etc but at least cite them you know what I mean? At least take oh, sure. Sure. At least if you take an extract and, and say, this is what the person said. Don't just have a list of books you're not allowed to like, you know. Because they might, yeah, refer to Jewish people, for example. Oh, yeah. It seemed very cheap. And, uh, it was, and, it was, no, it was, and a, intellectual, I'd say. Yeah. It was annoying because they called me, a, well, first, someone called me a James Shelby Downard fanboy, you know, Nazi. I <laughs> frankly was really offended by the term fanboy more than Nazi. I probably shouldn't admit that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about yeah. Michael not James Shelby Downard, whatever. It was a, it was an ad hominem, as the libs like to throw down. It was a stupid attack, yeah. but it was instructive to me. That and the Caitlyn thing, they were instructive to me because when Caitlyn Johnstone has an army of AI, like sock puppet, do you remember during COVID yeah. five, these like fake people who were like, real but probably ai i don't know like i would get in these arguments and realize that these accounts were yes yes very real. funny yeah, yeah yeah yeah, very funny to realize you're in an argument with a, with a robot yeah or a couple of times yeah. in my life yeah mm-hmm. trying, trying back that. away from that but it's <laughs> weird i don't know it, it is weird these are it is funny it is funny where, where where when and where they come at you so yeah. what i always found is it, a few times i had uh nothing like a viral tweet but like a a tweet with a degree of engagement, but was um, poking fun at the squad. Uh, it was always the squad that would would open the the the, 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 the trap door to the box. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's interesting, isn't it? That you're a little uh, plucky 
leftist anti-imperialist uh, movement has so such a sort of sophisticated bot army connected to it. I wonder who pays for that, you know? Uh, DDT, a chemical DDT, try it. You say DDT is bad or that the CDC used to spray DDT on communities in America because that's how they did get their start. A million people will come out and tell you to put DDT in your coffee in the morning because it's so good and safe for you. It's happened to me more than once, actually. There's certain topics and they attract these, like they, they unlock the box, the bot box. I guess it's a popular culture anyway. What's the aesthetic of the 70s for spring 2023 in KB's world? Oh, that's a, that's a fun question. Um, you know, um, I just went on, so I just had a huge road trip with my family for Easter. Nice. And uh, I have this like kind of like monster 70s playlist. But cool. we, uh, we we just had on shuffle and uh you know it was it was pretty good i would advocate you know like uh, you know how like jordan peterson does his like all meat diet yeah you know i would say i have the cultural equivalent which is going on all 70s diet just okay. all 70s all 70s movies all 70s music and okay. uh you can't you can't go far wrong i think the last really great 70s movie i i re-watched was deliverance i hadn't seen it for 20 years or something and it was uh it was a 10 out of 10 and um what was we uh what were we listening to uh a, moment? a bit of uh funkadelic and uh you know and uh some 70s miles as well as being uh has been on the, on the stereo a fair bit lately yeah. We're full of funky, a little bit soulful uh, spring, yeah. this, uh, soulful seventies vibe. Maybe we'll just we'll say there. Um, do you? It's funny. The seventies, I feel like, is a decade where everything that we're living in now was sort of being either drafted or was maybe even supposed to happen. Then uh, I think about like I don't know, like David Bowie's song Five Years," and I'm like, was that? I, I don't know. There's just certain things where I'm like, um, it, it is true, like Technotronic era by by Brzezinski. Um, a, a lot of these like uh, plans, like uh, what's it, Club of Rome, all. A lot of these plans were like kind of formulated in the seventies. Do you? Oh, what's the one? Soylent Green, I think is. I believe that's a seventy. I, I haven't seen Soylent Green yet. Oh, you've got to see Soylent right. Green. It's so. It took place in twenty twenty two, but right, it, right, yeah, it's prescient, it's right? Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. I don't, I, yeah, okay. yeah okay i'm gonna watch it this weekend yeah do you see that do you see the visions of our present moment when you're engaging with the 70s material that you that you consume or does it um, you safe in that decade that's a good do you know i i, I look at it as like a kind of um as, as a kind of a beautifully kind of balanced decade between the past and the future you mm. know like yeah. it was, you know, if if you could disregard uh, concern about, um, you know, uh, uh, nuclear war or something, mm-hmm. you know, which which in hindsight you of course could, um, 
then uh, you could have a really good time and a really good quality of life. And, and, and you know, like it was, it was it, you know, I agree with you that the future was, uh, you know, being plotted and planned, you know, dystopic tendencies were, were present. But um, it, was, it was a pretty good time to be alive, I'd say. Don't you think? It does. It does seem that way. I don't know. I think uh, I would go back. I would go the kind of wild idealism of the 60s either, which was a, probably right. a bit nauseating and insane. You know, this, this, you know, Mm-hmm. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is a bit more of a sweet spot. yeah yeah they'd seen the dark side by that point they'd been through 69 and all the the fallout from the idealism and just the carnage i guess that was wrought by the the 60s dream which to be fair was probably largely uh, directed by the department of defense but like there was um there was a balance i think i totally hear what you're saying and i think that i like that now you you kind of convinced me. I always want to go back to early '80s New York just because I I'm obsessed with that era of of music particularly. But oh, yeah. I can get there if I'm already in the '70s. I'll eventually get to early '80s New York. So maybe yeah, true. Yeah, just hang in there. Machine yeah. there. Yeah, we'll yeah, avoid the '60s though. It's a fucked decade. I don't I don't ever want to go back there. <laughs> Not that I was there the first time, but. But anyway, it's a whole different story. Um, KB, I really have, I could talk to you all evening. I don't want to keep you. And I do have a real job I have to go back to, unfortunately. Um, this has been such an honor, sir. I like, I always gush too much on this program, but like, it really is just so special and uh, touching that you've been here to talk with me this afternoon slash evening, your time. Um we will talk again. We were supposed to talk about our, our burgeoning network. We've got like a whole alliance of, of friends and co, uh, co-compatriots, I guess. We'll flesh it all out on the next one, I guess. Um, where, can, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, um, uh, at Golden Tooth. And um, if you if you uh, were to Google um, KB Goldtooth as well, you would you would come across my articles for the um, Off Guardian. Um, I think quite quickly, and uh, and of course uh, the podcast Ball of Propaganda too. Absolutely. We will make sure we um, we link all of those in the show notes, of course. We can even talk about, yeah, your articles. Again, millions of things to talk about. So little time. But it's really more just about the connection. It's about getting to talk, really, and not really what we actually covered, I suppose. In Quite the so. End. Quite so. Thanks so much for having me on Full House. It's a great... It's a great show, and I always like hugely appreciate uh, your account and uh, your whole being is one hell of a good vibe. I think.